This episode of the MJ Cast is brought to you by Roberta Martin Interiors, a phenomenal Californian interior design company that provides full-service, exquisite designs for constructions, remodeling, new layouts, room additions, kitchens, and bathrooms, servicing San Gabriel Valley and beyond. Head on over to robertamartininteriors.com to see Roberta's stunning work. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I <laughs> I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass. You become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello, and welcome to the MJ Cast. I'm your host, Jamin Bull, and I'm here with a few great, great guests. I'm really excited today to be talking to uh, a first timer on the MJ Cast, Christian James Hand. And Christian is a British musician, music producer, radio personality, and voiceover artist. Christian is also a DJ on 95.5 KLOS in LA. And over the past couple of years, he has curated and grown a groundbreaking radio segment he calls The Sessions, where he takes you through a track-by-track breakdown of some of the greatest songs ever recorded and reveals the magic behind the music. Now, that magic is now continuing over on Instagram at the Session IG Live, usually 11 a.m. Monday through Friday. And I have been enjoying watching lots of uh, Christian's incredible sessions. My first one was the Jackson 5's ABC, and my recent favorite was Michael Jackson's The Way You Make Me Feel. I'm so excited for Christian to be on the show today. Got a couple more guests, which I'll intro in a second. But for now, Christian, welcome to the MJ Cast. Thank you for having me, and thank you for my T-shirt. <laughs> An absolute pleasure. It looked great on you. <laughs> wow, thanks. I had to mandatorily cut the sleeves off just because, you know, that's what you have to do. That's what you do. Uh, we've also got a couple of returning friends of the show. Christina, welcome back to the MJ cast. It's only been a few episodes since you've been on, but we're delighted to have you back. Thank you. I'm super excited to be back and can't wait to get into the conversation about um, everything that Christian's doing with the session. And I'm very happy to see a lot of the MJ Cast listeners in the chat uh, during the session. So that made me super happy. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And of course, uh, veteran of the MJ Cast, haven't been on for a little while, but uh, lots of great episodes we've done together, Andy, over the years. Welcome back to the MJ Cast, Andy Healy from LA. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, as everyone, super excited to uh, get this discussion on. Yeah, for sure. Now let's let's kick it off. I think I, I would love to ask actually, because Christina, you, you were one of the people that sort of <laughs> alerted me to, you know, the session actually existing. I think back when I listened to ABC, it must have been a few months ago at this point. I think it was you or Elise, somebody tipped me off to it being a thing and I was blown away. So tell me how you got into the session. Yeah, no, definitely. So I was part of the club quarantine crew um, that was sent over to the session by D-Nice. 
you know, ever since then, every time I would get an IG notification or Christian, if you would do a post about a session you were doing, I was literally screaming from the top of every social media mountain to not miss these, you know, to the point where our group of our friends were kind of teasing me because it just was like this automatic, you know, do not miss this. And then, you know, I looked at the archive, which, you know, for listeners of the session, which, you know, I, I don't know how you manage the, the same questions multiple times a week of why don't you archive? <laughs> why don't you go to Twitch? You know, all those questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not frustrating you know, at all. Not frustrating at all. Um, you're you're always very patient and very respectful. Um, so I, I appreciate that you have to go through that. But looking at the list of everything that you've done, not only during the pandemic and, and on IG Live, but just historically, I I felt like I was discovering something that, you know, I I knew nothing about it. And, you know, I've I've been a lifelong MJ fan and, and Prince fan and have heard these songs a million times over the years. But, you know, I never really listened until I started coming to your sessions. One of my favorite noodles so far has been from Human Nature and the She's Keeping Him Around by Keeping Him A Round part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had heard that but didn't listen to it until then. And just really quickly, Man in the Mirror was so special for us because there's a group of us that met at the screening of Square One back in 2019. And we were on a weekend trip to the San Inez Valley. We're standing in the driveway of Neverland Ranch and you posted that you were doing Man in the Mirror that night. And we're all kind of standing around like, well, shit, you know, we're all going to be on the road. How are we going to make this happen? And there were like three of us in our separate cars, all listening to it in our cars on the drive back to LA and San Diego. And we're texting each other, you know, with like these long list of superlatives and, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I walked through the door of my apartment just as you got to the vocals, um, which if anyone's listened to the session, the, the reverence and the respect that you show to an artist, especially those that are no longer with us, is really what made it different for me from all the other, you know, lives that I've watched. And I just I stood in my apartment with like tears in my eyes, listening to these vocals with like an overwhelming sense of gratitude for everything that you're doing and have done. And that it just reminded me again that like this pandemic has been the worst of times And then there's moments like this that it feels like it's the best of times in the most bizarre and unexpected way. So I just, I wanted to thank you. You can tell that I'm a huge fan Mm -hmm. Um, and just, I can't thank you enough um, for what you do. And, you know, you're, you're doing this out of your love for music. You know, there's, there's no ticket price involved. So I just wanted to sneak that in there. Don't forget to tip your DJ folks, (laughs) check the website, plenty of ways to support Christian. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, obviously, those are those are humbling things to have somebody say to you. So, you know, <laughs> uh, my Asperger's makes it hard to deal with things like that. But I totally get it. Um, it is, you know, since I was a very young child, radio has been my love and comfort and the idea of being able to give people radio moments in this day and age where radio moments don't happen is really rare and it's really beautiful. And that's why, you know, there's a practical reason for them not to be archived, but there's also a really beautiful sort of spiritual reason for them not to be archived. Because what it means is that that moment that you shared in is completely 
unique to that moment and can't be replayed and can't be found again and only exists with you and the people that you shared it with and the you know the the memory that you have of it which is what radio did for me when i was a kid and you know if you want to know what radio means just listen to queen's radio gaga <laughs> i mean freddie Freddie kind of sums it all up in that song and it is, you know, it is a friendship and I get to offer a really cool version of that friendship for people and for the, for it to be specific to that moment is really beautiful. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that you got to have that moment with something that I'm doing simply to stop myself from going crazy as the world around us burns. So thank you for your kind words. We, I think we feel the same way. You know, it's, it's music is really the only thing getting us for a lot of us getting us through this, this insanity. And, you know, I was going to say real quickly too, that had someone told me in high school that I would one day be in an, an Instagram live and in the chat would be Jimmy Jam and Greg Gaines and Jonathan Moffat and Steve Percaro and Paul Jackson Jr. Just popping in to share how, you know, the process behind that. I mean, you just... You, if it was archived, it would cheapen the experience. So I, I get it. And yeah, I mean, how great is Jimmy to just pop in on our regular basis? Mm. Uh, the, the, the friendship that I have with Jimmy Jam is without a doubt one of the greatest, the two greatest gifts were getting to fire John Mayer and getting to become friends <laughs> with Jimmy Jam because he's, uh, you know, A, he's Jimmy Jam. B, he's such a beautiful man, and he is. When when someone of, of of that caliber, both as a human and as an artist, is a a fan and a proselytizer about what you do, it 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 is a, it is a humbling. It's a humbling place to be, and you know, I was completely overwhelmed when Paul Jackson Jr. showed up the other night. And it's because, you know, these, these performances are so special and the, you know, I have such, I don't just have love for the music. I have love for the people that, that make this music because, and especially the unsung heroes who don't get, you know, people don't realize how fucking badass Paul Jackson Jr. is. And then you listen to these tracks on their own and you're just completely flummoxed as to how one guy is capable of having, I mean, that PYT side journey we took where you get to hear that get accomplished. It's just mind blowing. So to have those guys show up and then to have them be grateful for the exposure and for the education and just for the, the, you know, the kudos in a way that no, you know, like when I sat down on my floor to start doing this, a, you know, a, almost a year and a half ago now at this point, I had no idea that any of that would happen. And to have created this little corner of the interwebs where these guys can just show up and it's not, you know, because there is a, you know, when you meet people in person, there's a, a level of discomfort and there is sort of, especially for a lot of these guys, because they're, the reason they're studio musicians is because they don't want to be the guy on stage who, has all the attention they want to be journeymen who make music and and you know so to be able to show up and have everybody like dude you're amazing and then f to just be able to leave the room with no discomfort <laughs> i'm sure they don't not have to like do an irish exit or like right. slowly <laughs> uncomfortably be like okay so i think i'm gonna leave now it's like literally like okay peace out everybody and i was like like paul you know it's like there's right. just a level of of the interaction is so unique to 
you know, this experience and, you know, like just having Melba Moore show up out of nowhere or yeah. you know, just any of the, any of these people that have been involved in making this music just to, you know, show up and, and Nile Rogers just appearing out of nowhere. And it's all down to Jimmy. And as I say, Jimmy's, uh, support is uh not something that i take lightly it is a it is an amazing gift to to be given and uh, i i have i have a, a great deal of affection for that guy yeah absolutely and before we we move ahead and, and dig into some of these questions i think just for some of our listeners who may not have experienced what you do yet how can we how can you describe what you do on the session what goes on yeah this has been you know one of my one of my points of pride is, is, well, I have a couple of them and they're, they're mostly based around me being, you know, having come of age in England from 1977 to 1983. So there's a, there's a part of me that is very, very punk rock and likes things that are somewhat, uh, disruptive and broken. So one of the things that I, that is a point of pride is that you really can't elevator pitch what I'm doing. And in a world of elevator pitches and, well, it's, you know, uh, the Mighty Ducks plus Inception meets, uh, you know, uh, a walk in the park. And you're like, okay, great. I'm into that. But you can't really do that with what I'm doing. And I, I, I like that because it means that people have to experience it to truly understand it. But I guess in the, the most bog standard way of putting it, I have through, you know, through means gained access to the multi-track recordings, which are the the, 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 the tracks that make up a song, bass, drums, guitars, vocals, keyboards, et cetera, et cetera. And what I do with my show is I, I walk you through them and I play them and I play them against each other. And I tell you that, you know, I, I, it's not really teaching. I don't like to use that term, but like let you know who the players were. And so you can hear the same names pop up in like seven different genres and, you know, different producers and historically, fit them into the context of music at the time and what's going on. And then, you know, we get to sit and listen to these amazing performances in a way that you, you know, you never would otherwise. And then the, the magic bit for me is when you get to hear the bass and the drums just on their own and you get to hear that relationship. And then you add the key, the, you know, the guitars and the bass on their own. And it, it's basically, it's just a walk through the song in a way that you've never experienced before in the hopes that it will get you to, a couple of things will happen, which is one of them is that you'll be re-engaged with this particular song, and then ultimately that it will lead to a re-engagement with all of the songs and songs that you don't know and songs that are new to you or you've forgotten about in an attempt just to get people to listen in the way that, you know, values the art. Because unfortunately, I, I do I do have a feeling that art, that music specifically has been incredibly devalued. And that to me is is evidenced by a lack of willingness of the, the average person to pay $10 a month for Spotify, which is already a criminal, criminally small amount of money um, to have access to every fucking song ever recorded and is going to be. And that to me shows that people don't really understand the value of this thing. So what I try to do is by showing all of the different stories that are in one three and a half minute story, you get to understand the value of the song and the value of the art and it'll 
you'll transfer that value to all of the other things, if that makes sense. It does. And for something that apparently can't be pitched, I think you just did an incredible job. Thanks. That really sums it up well. And and obviously, each one you do is usually one song at a time. And like I said, my, the first one I tuned into was ABC by the Jackson 5. Really, from the first five minutes of me tuning in, I was blown away because you you threw this information at me that I had never even heard or thought of before. And it's where you played the bass lines distinctly and, and isolated. I didn't realize there were two bass lines dancing around at the same time on that track. I, I thought it was one. And then when you played it, it was like, okay, there's actually two interplaying off each other here. And it's those kind of facts and, and bits of information. And, and like you said, you get to appreciate just the artwork of that one isolated instrument and the person who put all that effort into it. Um, so just priceless stuff. And, and I do encourage all of our listeners to, to join in and, and listen to some of your work. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that one's, you know, it's a great example because it's not even like the two bass lines are playing the same bass line. Yeah. You know, so like you, you have a regular bass line and then it's a distorted version of the bass line. It's you have the regular bass line and they have a completely different melody that's happening on that super fuzzed out one. But when you put them together, they become this one thing and then you stack all of the other stuff on top of it and they don't get lost. They just become contextualized in the song and you don't realize just how much thought and care and, you know, honestly, genius goes into all of these things. And that that's my that's the, my favorite part about it is getting people to really understand how precious and special these these little three and a half minute movies are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And before we dig into some of the Michael Jackson related things we want to talk about, kind of take us back to to your childhood and what your first musical memory was. Make what made you fall in love with music. Um, I. I can, you know, I, I consider myself incredibly lucky to have been raised by a complete audiophile music head, which is my dad, who doesn't play an instrument, doesn't really have uh, his own artistic outlet, but is a huge fan of music of every genre. And there, it was always, he's also a Beatles guy. Uh, and there was always music in my house. And very early on, I think that I, I sort of, cottoned on to the fact that music seemed to you know sort of calm down my internal chaos and then i found myself sort of drawn to a couple of specific acts england at that time was incredible every day there would be something mind-blowing on the radio whether it was you know and as i i point out in all these interviews like the thing with with music in england is you didn't have this thing of like, there was a rock station and then there was a, a jazz station. You know, it's like there was, everything was on the BBC. So on one, you know, you would hear Rod Stewart and then you'd hear The Clash and then you would hear, you know, Duran Duran and then you would hear Demis Roussos and then you would hear Paul McCartney. And so there were all of these different sounds. So in, I didn't even... I didn't even get lumbered with having one particular type of music that I listened to. I found my own identity, but also had a massive amount of love for the stuff that my dad would introduce me to. And the two records that really concussed my brain uh, was the Phil Collins Face Value uh, and another record by a guy named Mike Oldfield, which was called Tubular Bells, which is most Americans know as the theme song to The Exorcist which is actually a uh, part of a suite uh, that I 
my conjecture is that it's the single greatest recording in the history of music, which is 2,600 overdubs by a 19-year-old guy utilizing nothing but tape loops. And it is an extraordinary achievement. So those two records really kind of made me... That was the first time that I think you, all, you know, we all have that experience of like, there's a moment when you suddenly have this feeling that music is more than simply something that you listen to. And those two records were the, the first time that I experienced that. And then from there on, there was just so much that came out of the English radio that blew my mind. Um, Gary Newman was another one. I, mm -hmm. I was a huge ABBA fan, uh, still am. And, you know, but as I say, the clash, the English beat, as they were known in England, was the beat, the Sex Pistols, just you name it. I mean, just look at the charts from 1977 through 1983. It's extraordinary. So I just found myself loving everything. And then that transferred when I came to America and I went to high school on Long Island. And then there was all the amazing American rock. And then there was all the stuff that MTV was introducing us to. And I, you know, like I think one of the, one of my favorite things that I get sort of people comment on is that there's no genre on my show. You know, like last week we've, you know, went from disco to MJ to metal to, you know, hip hop. And then tonight I'm going to do Iron Maiden and then I'm going to do In Vogue on Monday um, <laughs> because I just don't care. <laughs> there is no genre. It's just music. And they're, you know, all of them are incredible. And when I get to blow people's minds with things that they don't think are going to blow their minds, it, it really is rewarding. One of the things that you mentioned is, you know, growing up in a household where music is kind of ever present and part of your being. But you also talked about becoming your your own identity, I guess, and your own musical taste and developing those. Do you know the first album that you yourself bought rather than an album that was gifted to you or an album that you discovered in your dad's collection? Oh, yeah. It was uh, my the first the first record that I spent my own money on was a record by a guy named uh, Ian Jury. And it was Ian Jury and the Blockheads New Boots and Panties. And I still have it. <laughs> nice. Very, very cool. And what In about fact, when I get my TV show, uh, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll is going to be the theme song to the TV show. Excellent. Excellent. Great track. <laughs> Great track. So that journey that you went on, that, you know, buying that Ian Jury album and then kind of discovering from there new musical styles that you were into. Can you even remember like the first concert you went to? Like what was the the visceral connection that you had with with the firsts that come along with being a music lover? Well, I annoy a lot of my music friends uh, because I actually don't enjoy live music that much. Okay. Um, it's I think it has to do with the Asperger's in that if I go to a show I don't like bands that don't play things exactly the way they are on the records. Like the Counting Crows will forever frustrate the shit out of me <laughs> and I will never go to see them ever again um, because of that. So if a band, if it's not a good performance, if there's something wrong with the sound or I don't feel even that the vibe on the stage is correct, I have right. to leave. So I have right. walked out of more shows than I've stayed at. Uh, but the first show that I went to see is easy. That was Genesis at Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. Uh, for, for the Invisible Touch tour, which was just fucking unbelievable. And I stayed for that, I might add. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, because of the fact that I never really cottoned on to live music, I missed out on some incredible opportunities on Long Island to go and see bands, you know, in places where they would never be seen again. And, and I'm bummed about that. But I also, knowing how I feel about live music, I'm 
I'm, I'd be more bummed if I'd never discovered the records than if I hadn't seen them live, if that makes any sense. So most, yeah. I can name probably the six live shows that I've been to that completely reconfigured my brain. And then or most of the others are entirely forgettable. <laughs> so. well, what, what is interesting to me with the sessions is that you do it in a way that feels it's kind of that hybrid of there's a definitely a honoring of the recording that took place in those studios at those moments. But the way that you present it and the way that you, in a sense, live score the song as you're playing it, you're digging into how the bass lines work. You're then isolating how the keys go. You're coming back to the guitars. It actually is, to me, a, a feeling of this is a once in a moment opportunity to hear this song this way. You, other people may have the multi the multi tracks and have stems and all of that, and they can listen to in in isolate their own ways. But the way that you do it really makes it feel like it is kind of you know that that lightning in a bottle capturing the moment. And there is a very much a live element to it where it feels like the the song is a living, breathing organism that you're really helping bring more to life and shine more light on certain parts here or there. So it's interesting that. I guess it comes from your appreciation of of the work and the craft that goes into creating these, you know, phenomenal songs, and then your love and appreciation of that that brings it to having more of a live feel. Well, thank you. I, I I one of the things that happened sort of on the pathway to finding this was that I I knew that I wanted music to be what I wanted to do for a living. I knew that I I wanted music to be in my life. I, I'm not one of these people that understands having a job and then having a life. I didn't, that never, that never resonated. I was like, ah, I don't really know. I don't, I, I, I've always said, I don't want to have a life that I need to take a vacation from, you know, like that didn't make any fucking sense <laughs> to me. I was like, yeah. you need to take two weeks to escape your life. Then you probably should take a look at what the fuck has happened. The other 50 weeks out of the year that is, significantly heavily weighted in the direction of not as enjoyable as those two weeks vacation. So having worn every hat, I became a DJ on the radio. I, I, I have a 20 minute work week currently other because I don't consider the, the IG sessions to be work. But, you know, I did, I was a guy who was on the radio five hours a day for, you know, five days a week. I worked at a record label uh, I toured with bands in a van where I played drums. I toured in bands in a van where I was the singer. I toured in bands with 30 18 wheelers and 65 buses, you know, uh, and traveled the world, worked in music video, worked in every aspect of the industry. And ultimately, at the end of the day, found that nobody really cared about the music other than the live show experience. And then I'm, I'm a person who doesn't like to be away from home too much. So that job didn't really, it was great when I did it, but I couldn't see myself having a life doing that. And then ultimately, as I said, my, my main love was radio and I just hate what radio has become. So, you know, my, my sort of go-to joke is that the sessions are the Instagram sessions are actually my favorite radio I've ever done because I get to do radio exactly the way I want to do it and the way that radio wouldn't let me do it and then ultimately proves my point, which is that, you know, I did a fucking John Mayer song the other day for two and a half hours. That's a three and a half minute John Mayer song that took 
huge. That's a that's a fucking Marvel movie that people sat through <laughs> to listen to John Mayer's latest song. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, there's a thing in in radio called TSL, which is time spent listening, and obviously. You want to create as much TSL as possible because you have advertising breaks and blah, 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 blah. If I was on the radio with a show that had two and a half hours of TSL, I would be they would be throwing parades for me in the towns that I was broadcasting on, you know, and instead I can't get these idiot program directors to even let me do 20 minutes. Like the amount of radio directions, like I just stopped doing it. I had a guy who was asking, you know, was trying to get me on radio stations around the country. And eventually I had to, it was over COVID. I had to ask him to stop doing it because I couldn't deal with the rejection anymore because I knew that what I, I know that what I'm doing is right. I know that I'm not wrong because I daily have evidence of it, (laughs) you know, like, it's ridiculous. I had one guy ask me if I could do fucking five songs in an hour, which is wow. ridiculous. I was like, he, he said, can you do four songs in an hour? And I said, how long is your broadcast hour? Because don't forget a radio hour is not 60 minutes with advertising. It's actually 48. So he was like, we have 12 minutes of commercials. I'm like, so it's a 48 minute hour. So what you're asking me to do is to spend 12 minutes on each song. Wow. And I said, don't you think that's somewhat disrespectful of the music? And I I could actually hear his brain trying to, it was like one of those things where you show somebody a fucking painting of a bunch of dots, but you know that there's a a, a schooner in there, there's a ship, (laughs) and all you're doing is like waiting for them to see the ship. I was waiting (laughs) for this guy to realize how disrespectful it was to do one song in 12 minutes. He couldn't get there. He didn't really understand what being disrespectful of music was all about. So I think that, you know, one of the, I'm, greatly you know thank you for those kind words i i I really think that the thing that i can do the reason that how i do it works as well as it does is because i'm really good at radio and i know that i am i think it's okay to know when you're good at things and i'm a good radio guy i love it's all when i was four years old i used to duck down behind the couch and tell my parents what the weather was going to be like <laughs> so it would just be this disenfranchised voice hanging in the air saying it's going to be partly cloudy today mom and dad um so i've you know and I've listened to everybody and the, the, you know, the, the radio that I got to hear in England, there were two guys, one was named Kenny Everett and the other one was a guy named Noel Edmonds, who unfortunately has, as England does, it likes to tear down its favorite sons as often as possible. Uh, those two characters were the single greatest, you know, the two of them being single greatest, it's a bit of an oxymoron, but they were, that was the, the, the impact that hearing those two men do groundbreaking radio had on me was profound and then getting to do it in college and then even getting to do it on commercial radio because even when i was on commercial radio i i broke as many rules as i could and tried to do as much as i could that was different to what everyone else is doing and i think that that's what separates me from a lot of the people that are doing podcasting in general right now is is you know a friend of mine who does a pretty successful automotive podcast uh put it he was like turns out that the uh, you know the the gateway to doing a podcast wasn't getting the gear, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's that's turns out that's not the obstacle to doing a great podcast because there's a lot of people with a lot of gear. There's a lot of you know honestly like some really successful podcasts that I listen to, and I'm just like this is some of the worst radio I've ever heard. So I think that 
having been brought up in radio and loving radio and being addicted to, I mean, I knew all of my parents every year would get me the BBC radio put out like a, a diary and I knew all of the DJ's birthdays. Wow. <laughs> like I was wow. that much of like how other people are about football teams. I was about, I, that's how I was about radio and I bounced. There was one called LBC and I would listen to LBC at night, which was this was London broadcasting and it was like a talk radio station. I listened to that at night as I fell asleep. And then there was BBC Radio One, which was obviously like the big banner nationwide radio station. And then there was a slightly more, you know, punk rock, edgy one called Capital Radio, which only broadcast in London. And that was where Kenny Everett was. And I would listen, I would bounce from radio station to radio station and I would absorb all of these different characters. And then I came to America and it was fucking Pablum. You know, and I would listen to these guys and just be like, what are they doing? What is this? And I found a couple of people like, you know, Howard Stern to a certain degree, though I wasn't particularly enamored with the sort of the somewhat gauche nature of it. But I did understand how he was breaking all the rules and appreciated that. And there was a couple of people, but most of my influences are all English DJs. And and uh, as I say, like, I I think I think that that's what separates what I'm doing from other people is that you could give anyone else the stems, but being able to tell the stories is very difficult. All right, guys, let's take a break to talk about this episode's sponsor. Here at the MJ Cast, we're lucky enough to be a part of an incredible community of people. And part of our goal is to support other creators who are doing great work. Today, we'd like to shine a light on our episode sponsor, Roberta Martin Interiors. Roberta is a huge Michael Jackson fan based in Pasadena, California, who became a fan as a kid when she saw the Jackson 5 performing on The Ed Sullivan Show. Since then, she fell in love with the whole family and especially Michael. She was also lucky enough to be in the audience for Motown 25 at the Pasadena Civic and saw Michael Jackson do the moonwalk on stage for the very first time. Wow. Fast forward a few decades and Roberta is running an incredible interior design business. Roberta Martin Interior's mission is to provide full service interior design for constructions, remodeling of new layouts, room additions, kitchens and bathrooms servicing San Gabriel Valley and beyond. Roberta loves working with successful professionals who own dated homes that are ready for a makeover. Roberta takes your space from concept to completion, offering interior design consultations wherever you're located. For those in the LA area, Roberta works with the best contractors and tradesmen to carry out your construction. Roberta's services include electrical and lighting plans, architectural plan critique, custom cabinetry, furniture, rugs, and window treatments. Designed for new primary suites, baths, bedrooms, powder rooms, whether within your existing space or additions to your home. Roberta will provide the design to open up and enlarge your kitchen to your family and dining room and, with the assistance of their engineer, design open spaces where there were once walls closing them off. And guys, let me tell you, Roberta has some serious chops. She's been a member of the American Society of Interior Designers for 20 years, has been a certified interior designer for 26 years, has designed rooms for Pasadena Showcase House and other show homes in Southern California. If you take Roberta your dreams, she'll make them a reality. 
be sure to check out her gorgeous work at robertamartininteriors.com, on Instagram at robertamartininteriors underscore social, and on Facebook as Roberta Martin Interiors. At the MJ Cast, we are all about supporting members of the MJ community. We're made up of so many talented individuals. Let's all support each other and bring attention to the brilliant creative work that exists within our community, like Roberta's. Roberta, thank you so much for sponsoring this episode of the MJ Cast. If you're interested in being a future episode sponsor, please feel free to reach out to the MJCast at iCloud.com. Let's get back to it. You've mentioned a number of elements in the music industry and, and in music itself that has influenced you. So I'm wondering, are, could you name a few of the artists or groups that have not only influenced you the most, but you think are also the most influential in music? Well, I mean, obviously the, the four lads from Liverpool, are your, that's your, your first, mm-hmm. your first, you know, that, as I say, you know, to me, Queen are the greatest rock band in the history of music because you can't actually judge the Beatles as a rock band. You know, the Beatles are a cultural phenomenon that literally changed everything. The other day I did Helter Skelter and I, and I list, whenever I do the Beatles, I list all of the Beatles firsts. And it's just relentless. It doesn't stop. You know, there's just 50 things that they did before anybody else had done it. And that, so they, they just sit on their own. Uh, and they invent almost all of it. They're, of course, standing on the shoulders of all of the, the black blues legends that came before them. But as far as a cultural force, the Beatles are number one. And then I think, you know, there are really important bands that that people prob- you know possibly don't realize are as, as significant as they are. The Clash are hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people sort of understand in a tangential way how important the Clash are. But I don't think they truly understand how important the Clash are. Michael is obviously massively, massively important. I think the queen of the greatest rock band in the world, I don't know how important they are. I think that's too, that's, you, you measure things differently. You know, I don't think that, I, I, I don't think that if queen was taken out of the history of music, music would change that drastically. I think it would, but I don't think it would be as massive a change as if the clash were taken out. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that the you know the the fault lines that they create in the psyches of people coming after the Ramones obviously hugely hugely important. If you really start to drill down on it, that list is very very small. You know, the list of yeah. truly influential artists is really really small. Elvis is hugely important. Yeah. You know, uh, and and the Beatles don't happen without Elvis, and all of those folks don't happen without Elvis. But there is also the you know I forget her name, but. So Elvis, fuck, I wish I remembered her name. Elvis was basically ripping off a black blues woman who invented rock and roll. And I knew her name two days ago. And because I can't remember where my car keys are uh, due to um, <laughs> marijuana, um, I, uh, I don't remember her name, but you should look into it. And they played a piece of uh, one of her songs on NPR. And she was basically the one who taught Elton, uh, taught Elvis how to do the Elvis thing. So he wasn't even like ripping off the black male blues guys that everyone thinks he was ripping off. He was ripping off a black woman who is one of the, you know, and I, I'm really annoyed that I don't remember her name because it was one of those things where I'm like, Sister I must Rosetta? remember this. It might be, that might be 
And she was like the, she was the OG and he learned from her and everyone learned from her. And it was just like one of those things where we need to recalibrate the history of, of music because there are, there are people who have been excised from that story on purpose, obviously, who are hugely influential. And she, if you want to look at like fault lines, she's possibly the most influential female and or male in music history from that point onwards because of the fact of the the you know the ripple effect of her art so i i i think that you know joy division another one that's yeah. massive because they mm -hmm. change everything that comes after them so when you really start to look at like who changes the movement of things i don't think you can you know you can't nine inch nails trent reznor massively influential Radiohead, massively influential. Uh, African Bombada, massively influential. Like the fact that mm -hmm. Planet Rock is not in the. I did Planet Rock the other night. We found out yeah, that that's, that's not in the. It's not in the con congressional fucking thingy of music thingies or whatever. It's like the Library of Congress doesn't have that song in it. Like, wait, what? That was preposterous. <laughs> and that that by it's far got to be one of one of my favorite sessions you've done because like that's. I mean, I grew up during that era. And that reminded me of like, you know, being in high school and going to the roller skate rink and to, to hear things in that song that I didn't even know were there. And what's really interesting to me is, you know, you kind of mentioned how you don't really, you're, you're not really typecast into one particular genre. You're all over the board. And I know, you know, IG is infamous for getting, you know, the bots come out. And there are some songs where, you can't even get a few seconds into it. And I can't remember which song you done you did just recently, where it's like we were getting botted at one point, like every few seconds. Um, so I'm curious, you know, have you, while doing the session, have you run into any legal issues with, you know, some of those songs? And one of the things I know you've mentioned is one of the reasons that you don't want to archive these sessions is because at some point you would like to have um, the approval and consideration of the artists and the um, the labels behind that. So I'm curious, you know, have you have you run into legal issues? Um, no, I've I've been doing this for five years, and I've been I've sat in the hallowed halls of all of the big rooms and spoken mm -hmm. to all of the big people, and the rights holders understand what I'm doing. They would just like me to pay a lot of money to be able to do it, which I right. want to be able to do. Uh, I also think that there's there's room for an agreement between all of us where they understand what I'm actually trying to do more than simply make money for them. And that, you know, I've had those conversations. I, I don't want to be, you know, people like put up a Patreon or do this or do that. And I'm like, I, I my goal is to be the actor's studio of music. My goal is for people to reach a, a, a point in their career where I turn my attention to their songs and that sounds arrogant but fuck it i'm allowed to be a little bit i've invented something <laughs> so absolutely and that's my you know my goal is for it to be that i want to be a, an a, an important voice in music because the people like john peel is another great hero of mine from english mm -hmm. radio he was really important but he was important because he was just simply himself and he loved what he was doing and he loved the music that he was being allowed to play and the people he was being allowed to discover and this has you know there are other people doing similar things to what i'm doing in certain ways and a, a lot of it has to do with them mm -hmm. and right. a lot of them a lot of it has to do with what this thing brings them and i find that gross i consider myself 
unbelievably blessed to have access to the things that I have access to. And I don't take any of it lightly. That's why the, you know, the, the, the vocal thing is so important to me is for people to shut up during the vocals Absolutely. because I, I, the, you know, Paul Jackson Jr. Wasn't in the room going, why doesn't everybody shut the fuck up while my guitar part is playing? <laughs> you know, he was sitting there like, yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, this is amazing. And he's like, ah, right. I mean, I was doing this thing and that thing. So I think eventually it's going to work. It's just, I needed to, you know, as we were talking about COVID and quarantine and all that has been so horrible and, you know, I've suffered and everyone suffered in their own individual ways. But I, I've also, you know, through the simple pivot of sitting on my floor and plugging a mixer into my phone, have had people and both professionally and just, you know, the, the punters, as we'd call them in England, more people exposed to what I'm doing than I then people are like, how have you been doing this? For I've been doing live shows in L.A. for four years. Wow. And the amount of people who are like, how the fuck do I not know that you've been doing these live shows for four years? I've been traveling for two years before COVID. I was doing a weekend in New York, a weekend in L.A., a weekend in San Francisco and a weekend in Chicago. Yeah, I was totally in that camp as well of, uh, you know, not knowing about the shows that you were doing prior to the pandemic, unfortunately. And, you know, going through the archive list, there are so many songs that you've done that I would have killed to have been in, um, you know, especially a live audience. So I'm looking forward to, you know, I know that your shows at the Segerstrom kind of got postponed until November, but I'm I'm so glad and so grateful that you're you're going to get back and and continue doing these the session. Well, I will say that the 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 live show is to me the live show is where you you really sort of you get to experience something that, you know, and it's just fact. It's not it's not self-grandizing. It's just never been done before. And I know that because I sit there and I'm like, holy shit, this has never been done before. And the experience of being able to sit there with 200 people in a room or 400 people at the Sagerstrom Center and like being bathed in, you know, a Freddie Mercury vocal and watching it, you know, I get to sit on stage and look out at 400 people. So I get to watch the spells get cast. I get to watch <laughs> the wizards do their work. And I get to see it in the eyes of the people who are experiencing it. And it's, it's a, you know, one of my f favorite things is that, you know, each of the, each of the ways that I do a, one song is completely different to the other. The, the Instagram version is completely different to the live version, even though it's exactly the same basis, which is the seven tracks of a song or the five tracks of a song and the group you know, getting to, you know, I was one of the things I did was I was a in quotes rave DJ back in the day. And that's an incredible experience. Like getting to DJ for 3000 people and taking them on a journey that you've decided is, um, is really, it's, it's, it's actually incredible. Like the, when to, you know, to do that is, is real. That's, that's when you get to feel like you're a wizard yourself. It's but so getting, incredible. Well, just getting to sit there and have people sit silently i mean there's no chat room there's not i don't have to tell everybody to shut up you know what i'm saying like <laughs> it's a completely silent room and if you're you know you're playing the drums from you know a slipknot song through a pa that is designed to have live music go through it you close your eyes and it's like joey jordison would be in the room you know and yeah it's it's really you know that version of the show the live version of the show is 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 so cool and i'm a huge fan of that but i'm 
the the things that I've learned from doing it on on the Instagram version have have been genuinely you know, eye-opening for myself. And, uh, you know, I'm now looking at like possibly doing some, a friend of mine has a bunch of those like wireless headphones that they use at the silent discos. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm thinking of doing is I'm going to start trying it at a friend of mine's, uh, in his yard. We're going to get like 30 people and I'm going to put the headphones on them all and we're going to sit there and I'm actually going to do the live session. That's kind of like a hybrid of the Instagram version but you'll be able to hear it in stereo on headphones. And I will also be showing you, because when I do it live, I bring up photos of the band. You get to see the waveforms and I show you the different pieces of the waveforms, which is already mind blowing to people that have never operated any sort of DAW. You know, my friends who are musicians in LA are like, dude, I can't believe you get 200 people to sit for two hours and just look at a Pro Tools screen. <laughs> I'm like, I know, right? It's amazing. They have no clue. Cause, and the funny thing is like people, when I first started doing it, people thought that it was just sort of like a uniform kind of like icon graphic of the drums. It took them a couple to realize that that's actually the drum track. Do you know what I'm saying? Like instead yeah. of it just being like, oh, that green waveform will always represent the drums and whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. That's actually the drums from this song. And when people realized that it was like another tier of like brain explosions. <laughs> so the visual aspect of it that you don't get on the Instagram show is really cool in the live version. When I get to show you what the band members look like and the producers, and sometimes I'll get to show you the room like when i do the beatles i'll show you the room that they recorded it in and you know because I, the other thing that is really important to me is to have people understand the names of the people that have made the music possible who are just as important as the musicians engineers and producers just as important you know like you, you should know those names because those names are the people who those are the wizards that did their bit of wizardry and they they are the unsung heroes so that it's it's really it's a really beautiful thing to be able to do it in in these different ways, and and the live show is a is a really unique experience, and and I, I look forward to getting back to it. To be honest, yeah. yeah, it's just it's incredible, and everything you're doing, and I I think the reason why people are so drawn to it is everything that you do comes from such a genuine place of respect for the music, and as a Michael Jackson fan there's a lot of heart in this fan community and you know we genuinely care about each other we care about michael's legacy so I, I that's what's really kept me coming back repeatedly is that not only is what you're doing amazing you know you you genuinely care about your listeners thank you i i i i try to imagine that you know there was a there was a while there where people were like you know started calling me like the professor and like they were coming to class and i was like knock that shit on the head immediately because a, I don't, you know, being a person who has a, you know, whatever you want to call, you know, Greta Thunberg calls it a superpower, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> I already feel disconnected from the world in general, uh, in, a, in a, a world that is entirely of, you know, my own brain and, you know, the inability to truly connect with people. So the the, the ability to, to connect with people through this thing, I, I like the fact that it you know, somebody described me, the perfect description was, you are my, you're like my older brother's best friend who would sit us in the basement and get us high and play us cool music. <laughs> Love it. And I was like, that's, that is exactly the place that I would wish to occupy for everyone that joins it. It's like, I'm just the, you know, your brother's best friend who is like, hey man, have you heard all the shit that makes up, you know, 
man in the mirror like check this extraordinary i mean it bums me out that i can't do beat it because we get botted every time it bums me out that i can't even press the beginning of thriller press play on that because it immediately gets closed out because the things that are going on in that song is are just absolutely spectacular like doing it i do it live as my halloween show and when you get to hear Vincent Price's vocal soloed booming at you through a fucking huge PA, <laughs> it's like, it's it's basically God showing up and telling you the, the funk of 40,000 years. You know, and he's, <laughs> it's been recorded through probably what would be in this day and age, like $250,000 worth of recording gear without the mixing desk. And it's unbelievable, dude unbelievable so you know like that 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 aspect of it of being you know able to to build community which is a, a you know a strange thing to think about when you think about what i'm doing but there is a community that has grown up around it and it's really been beautiful to watch like a bunch of people come over from d nice and you know i it's just a fact like there was there wasn't a lot of people of color showing up originally you know, like it was a very sort of like there wasn't. So having a, an audience of people of color showing up and being like, well, I want to know about my sugar. If I'm, I'm I think this Michael Jackson shit's dope and all of the R&B stuff is dope. But what's this sugar stuff? And then being like, OK, I'm in for metal now. This is great. What else can I learn about? And then the all of the, the culture of the the. Um, the Tom Segura fans, which have its own world that they've created, and then they all showed up. But then what happens is that everyone gets into the room of my thing, and then they just become part of the culture of this thing, which really doesn't have a culture. It doesn't have, it has, like, I've obviously made up a bunch of ridiculous awards and stupid shit and, you know, purple bananas and all that stuff, which has its, you know, it has its own vernacular. But it's really just about the music and having all of this, like, really like a mixing pot of people hanging out or melting pot of people hanging out really just proves that music is the international language. Mm, yeah. And I was concerned that it would start to be ghetto. You know, it was, it wasn't a fear because I don't really have fear about it, but it was always like a thing in my mind of like, I, I don't want this to be like metal fans are only going to show up for metal. R and B fans are only going to show up for R and B. New wave fans will only show up, you know, and instead, which is unfortunately, to be honest with you, which what does kind of happen with the live show, um, because I pre-announce what I'm going to be doing and people are like, ah, I don't know. So what I do is I fuck all of them and I'll have the headliner is a band I know everybody will want to show up to. And then the opening act is always somebody that I'm like, and you're going to have to learn about this to earn Queen. So I'll do like <laughs> Pantera and Queen to make people sit through Pantera to get their Queen. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, they'll be like, man, that Pantera shit. And I don't, you know, my thing is like, I don't expect everyone to love every band. I don't want you walking away being like, I'm a met. I don't, it's, about, it's all about respecting it. So that if you're ever at a party and somebody's like, oh, Pantera sucks, you can look at them and be like, yeah, I don't think you're listening. I don't think you're really aware of what Pantera actually accomplished with four dudes and a lot of growling. And, <laughs> you know, like you walk away with respect for the music. You don't necessarily have to walk away with a newfound passion for it. So that that's been the most not surprising, but rewarding thing of the whole enterprise has been watching just this audience grow and grow and grow and people hitting me up and saying, you know, like I was never really into 
Metallica. And then, you know, the, you started playing that old Metallica stuff, and I've checked it all out. And man, there's some really great songs there, and thank you for that. And that's, as a music fan, is that's all I'm doing, right? I mean, that's all we ever do, is you just kind of turn to our friends and are like, hey, man, have you checked this out? And sometimes they'll be like, man, I'm not really into it. And then other times it'll become their new favorite band. And, you know, one of the, you know, to bring it to what you folks are doing, you know, like the 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 MJ thing is really, it's interesting to, it's not interesting, it's, it's wonderful to be able to show people the stories behind the MJ songs, right? Because MJ is just MJ, like you just see him as as MJ. And you don't realize that Greg Fillinganes is of the, of the world or the J.R. Robinsons or the, the, you know, the, the Paul Jackson juniors and, and, and those guys. So to be able to show that those records were, were constructed by geniuses is really cool because it helps to kind of, to me, even further, it, it actually not even further, it begins to humanize Michael in a way that I don't know if he, you truly get the humanity of it without understanding the stories behind it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It actually makes total sense. And, and I love those thoughts. And and on that note, I want to go full MJ here. And I want to ask you, like, what you've engaged with so many different artists and you've done sessions around Prince and, and all these kind of artists. What is it about Michael's music that makes it so interesting and unique to dissect? That's a good question. Um, unlike, you know, barring the Beatles, a lot of the other things are sort of one-off teams, you know, where these guys worked on this record and then they moved on with this guy and then they moved on with this guy. We, when you start to tell a Michael story, you get to tell a Bruce Swedean story and you get to tell a Quincy story and you get to, you know, when Greg Fillinganes informs you that the, the, you know, the way that he was playing synth bass was because he had, stood next to Stevie and Stevie had shown him how to do it. And you're like, wait, what? You know, you, you really get to, you get to, cause it's a team. Like those guys worked on those records all the way up until Michael had to grow out of Quincy and then, you know, do his own thing. And then at that point, he's still working with Bruce because Bruce is still the greatest engineer that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he's still the dude that can get the thing done the way that it needs to get done. So when you do MJ, you get to tell really profound stories about the growth of, of music because you get to tell Quincy's story. You know, the amount of people that don't realize if they haven't seen the documentary, which I urge everybody to watch, you know, the, the Quincy wasn't allowed to orchestrate strings because black guys weren't allowed to orchestrate strings. They could orchestrate horns, but, what, but strings had to be orchestrated by white people. And then you, you're like, you, what? And then he goes to Europe and then he comes back after him being schooled and being, you know, of, of, you know, orchestration of strings by one of the greatest orchestrators of all time. He comes back and, and by that point, nobody can deny that he's Quincy. He gets to do whatever he wants. And you get to talk about those stories and you get to really sort of dig into this sort of, you know, like I always describe the songs as an iceberg and the song itself is just the tip of the iceberg. And then underneath the surface is the, is the bulk of the song. And there are the stories with, with Michael, you know, him being so young when he started. And, you know, that's why the ABC thing is crazy. Like that yeah. vocal is like, who is this kid? Like, how is this person? What is he 11 or eight or ever old he is when he does that? It's just ridiculous. He's fully formed. I don't do it so much on the Instagram because it's hard work. 
but with a live version, you know, there there is room for conversations about things that are of greater substance in that story. And, you know, I think that those those things are really important to talk about as well. Do you think that Michael obviously, you know, with the moniker King of Pop, is kind of almost seen as the the pop pinnacle. But do you think because he's so easily classified as pop that he isn't given the due respect that other artists or musicians are given? And I think, do you find what you're doing is helping to make people reassess that? Um, I think that he, I think people sort of have an inherent understanding of how brilliant he was. I don't think they have, a real understanding of how brilliant he was. And by being able to explain by showing, you know, it's like one of the things that happens when you do the thriller session is you get to actually look at the genius of Quincy and Bruce's brains working because of the way that that session is laid out. So I think that one of the things that you get to really look at is that it's not really it's only the king of pop because he basically called himself that, right? Like, you know, he could have just been, you know, he not just been, but he, it's like pop music is so reductive for what it is because it's actually yeah. inventing a bunch of new shit. Yeah. You know, like that's the thing with Jimmy, like Jimmy always, you know, it's, it, uh, I, I got to send uh, Greg a, a, a screen grab from Jimmy where Jimmy was like, my entire career, I was just ripping off Greg Fillingain's. <laughs> like and that's awesome and then you send that to greg and he's like what i'm just you know like that's amazing because i'm just greg filling games and i always thought that jimmy was jimmy and you're like no man the 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 ripple effect of all of those records the utilization of the drum machine but then at the same point you can hear in the way that michael's building stuff like the the drum machines on whatever we did last week the lindrum stuff and you're like wow there's so much new order in this and you're like, of course there is, because he was listening to that stuff. There was no way that he wasn't accessing all of those other, you know, he was the same, the same as Prince, the same as Sly. Like they're taking all of those other things that are happening around them. And as, as most great musicians and artists do, they bend that form to their will. Yeah. So, you know, the king of pop is hugely reductive mm -hmm. because it's, it's not just, it's not just a pop song. Yeah. And when you go in and you dig into these performances and, you know, like I, I was I was always I was amazed when I found out that it was Steve Stevens who played the lead on what is it, black and white or whatever it was that I always thought was that everyone thinks is Slash, but it isn't because Slash was only in the video or like whatever. There's like once there was a lead that Steve Stevens from the Billy Idol band did. And I was like, wait, what? And then you listen to I mean, it. Daddy Diana. Dirty mm -hmm. Diana, yeah, yeah. And he Dirty does Diana, the whole, yeah. he does his, he does his laser gun trick on it and the whole <laughs> thing. And you're like, holy smokes, like, this is that dude. And then you look at all yeah. of that and you realize how much that's, why Billy Idol's guitar player? Like, of all of the tangential choices to have made at that point, you never, I never in a million years would have thought of Steve Stevens as the guitar player on that stuff. But obviously MJ heard it and was like, I want that guy to come and do his magic on this thing. So that's what I mean about it's not pop music. I mean, it is because obviously it's popular music and it's on the charts and all that, but it's it's way deeper. It's a reference point for a lot of things that are happening totally. around it. You know, the utilization of, of Eddie Van Halen, the utilization of sort of, it's interesting that it's generally in the guitar department where he pushes, but, you know, like Lukather, mm -hmm. 
You know, like you've already got two of the greatest guitar players of all time playing on your business. And then you're like, yeah, but let's see what Steve Lukather and the rest of the dudes from Toto are going to bring to the story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, how many amazing musicians can we cram into this studio at one time? Turns out all of them, if you try really hard and you make enough mm -hmm. phone calls. So it's like, they're, they're also cultural reference points, right? Like all of those yeah. records are cultural reference points. Off the wall is a cultural reference point for what's, that's what he did. It's like Madonna. Like that's why she occupies that same role. And I think, I was actually struggling when you were when we were talking about it earlier. I was trying to find a female voice that has that ripple effect. And Madonna is definitely one of those, right? She's definitely one of those women, or definitely one of those artists as a female artist that changes all of the things that happen. Right? You can hear her in Gwen Stefani. You can hear her yeah. in Cindy Lauper. You can hear her in Shirley Manson. You can hear her in all of the women that come afterwards are hearkening back just something that she did, but she's also very good at pulling from what is happening around her at that time, whether it's the Vogue record or the, the dance records from the eighties, you know, the, or, and, and then, you know, going with William Orbit and that stuff on frozen going with the fucking dude from Les Rhythms digital on music. She's doing the same thing that, that MJ did where she's where her records are cultural time, like capsules where you can listen to that record and everything that's happening around it is so obvious in the sound of that record and not because it, and it isn't dated, which is also a hell of a magic trick to pull off. Right. Like it isn't yeah. dated. You don't listen to it and you're like, nah, that sounds old. You know, it's like you listen to it and you're like, <laughs> Oh no, that sounds like that record from that moment, which is a real magic trick. So out of all the songs that you've done, Michael's uh, Jackson five Jackson's songs, what have you enjoyed, you know, digging into the most and, and why that particular song? Mm, that's a really good question. Uh, I have a personal affinity for uh, Man in the Mirror for yeah. some reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's not that the, I mean, I'm obviously the things that are happening in that are, are awesome in the usual, you know, nothing shitty about it. But I have like a the that record that bad record came into my life at a, a very specific time. I have a lot of sort of time machine moments that I call them when I listen to those songs that you sort of like your skin changes texture because you can remember the rooms you were in and you can sort of like even smell the air of the time. So that, that record has so many of those moments and I didn't necessarily have that attachment to the records prior, even though they were everywhere and I was obviously listening to them and enjoying them, but there's something really special for me about that particular album. So getting to do anything from that is, is, is dope, but thriller is just magnificent. You know, thriller is Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like one of those where mm -hmm. you just, you know, the, the, that onion is virtually impossible to, you know, let's <laughs> also, we have to, you know, you got to mention Rod when you talk about that stuff too, right? Like yeah. there's these behind the scenes characters that are even behind the scenes, further behind the scenes than the people that are already <laughs> behind the scenes. You know, it's like, you know, MJ records, it's like, you might as well bring up the fucking receptionist at the studio because there's so <laughs> many, you know, shadow characters that are just as significant, you know, and, and, you know, one of the moments that was was really interesting and i don't know if you guys are there for it but i was playing i forget what song it was but i actually had at rod's guide vocal or his original scratch vocal and i played it because i thought that it would be really interesting to be able to credit him with having come up with the melody and all that stuff and greg actually commented that he would have hated it and i immediately muted it and i was like we don't yeah. need to do that 
because yeah. that's you know I, and i will i will probably do it if i do that song live and ask for his forgiveness publicly because it is really important that people yeah. understand that there were moments when mj didn't have the idea you know there was another right. guy who was like hey i got some shit and then mj's like yeah no that's dope you know like he's he's writing the speech for for uh for for thriller in the cab on the way to the studio <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like that wasn't written by vincent price that wasn't written by michael jackson that wasn't written by quincy that was written by him as he's driving into the studio he's like i gotta come up with something and then it ends up being indelibly imprinted on culture from that point on the mm -hmm. funk of forty thousand years like just say that to somebody and they'll go oh yeah yeah i know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> you know and then what's really incredible is like you think that the laugh is evil and fucking dark when you hear it on the song. That soloed is yeah. terrifying <laughs> because he has this like guttural throat thing that he falls into at the end of it that you don't get to hear on the record because it's obviously submerged under whatever else is happening with the delays and reverbs. And I was like, man, this is way gnarlier than I thought it was. So there is, you know, there's that. That's another thing with his with with those records is that they are nov they're, they're the the songs are novels themselves mm -hmm. and all songs are novels I, that's why i tell the stories of them but those songs you know are novels about culture they're novels about trauma they're novels about fame at an early age they're novels about stories about what happens to human beings in those environments. They're stories of friendships. They're stories of infinite amounts of respect. And it's really a team. And it's a team that like a team of gypsies that travels from one country to the next. And each album is like, you know, they're like Bedouins that move <laughs> through the deserts of music and then make a camp. And that camp becomes off the wall. And then the next camp is thriller and the next camp is bad. And then danger and all of these you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just, it's such a unique story. And it's also Shakespearean because of the pathos and the, the, the sadness that's built into it. You know, it's similar to Prince's story in that yeah. way that there is now, you know, they are Shakespearean tales. Is there a Holy Grail track for you that you haven't been yeah, able to get your hands on for Michael? Africa. Not from Michael. The only oh, right. one that I want Africa, from, Africa Toto. from Toto is like that's that's right. my great white whale. That is I'm like uh -huh. Ahab, like at the bow of the ship <laughs> every day, just like looking out over the ocean. And I'm so close to it. I'm like literally one degree of separation away from Africa right now on two fronts. So eventually it's it's gonna happen. I'm I'm currently in talks with uh, somebody who's very close to one of the guys from the band who might be able to do it. I may have to go to his place to do it, which is completely fine. Uh, and then obviously for me. I have one Phil song, but you know there are Phil would be the Holy Grail would be to to be able to sit and do one with Phil. I actually interviewed him on the radio, and then I did an episode of my podcast where I played and critiqued my own interview, just because <laughs> it was like just absolutely like one of the most you know the entire universe collided and then imploded and then re-exploded and then imploded again all in the fraction of a millionth of a second. It was I was overwhelmed by that entire experience. So Phil is the that's the top of the that's the top of it would be to sit there with him. But as far as tracks are concerned that one and as far as mj i mean i have the ones that you know 
really i wish i had the bass line on liberian girl and then the one i did mm -hmm. the other night and the background vocals which would be really helpful uh but most of the ones that i would want to do from him i have like black and white's my favorite song off that record and i have that one and it's fucking yeah. awesome you know so i feel really lucky and that i don't actually have a wish list for his stuff because i mean all of the ones that i would want to have i have which is great wow and the way I got those was really bizarre. So this, I got a, I got a message on Facebook, I think it was, a few years back from a dude. And he was like, hey, you're the guy that does that thing on the radio. And I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, well, I think I have some stuff that you would really like. And I was like, okay. He was like, meet me at the Starbucks at the 405 <laughs> in Wilshire on Friday at 2.30. And I was like, I think I'm going to end up in the trunk of a car. Uh, Very clandestine. With a, with a couple of dudes from Sony Records at the helm. And I'm going to get beaten with rubber hoses with people asking me where I get the fucking masters from. So I was like, all right, dude. So I go to the thing and I sit there and he's a fan and he and his wife have been to a couple of live ones. And then he just sort of like slips this USB stick across the table at me. And he's like, I think you're going to like what's on there. And I was like, what is it? He said, I'm not going to tell you. Just text me when you get home. And I got home and put him in and it was like 15 Michael Jackson sessions. Wow. And, you know, I, I know where they're, where they are in quotes publicly available, but I definitely you know, was one of the first to get those and certainly one of the first to have them sort of aggregated together into one thing. And what's really, you know, the the breathtaking thing about those is that they are all pre-mixed. They are all before they get stemmed out with the reverbs and the delays and all that stuff, which to me is yeah. the great things about those is that when I do it live, you know, I'll do the whole stems and go do all the tracks. And then at the end of it, you get to play the album mix, which then shows the genius of Bruce because you mm -hmm. get to hear all of this raw data turned into the thing that came out of the radio and you really get to understand what a badass that dude was <laughs> because yeah. you just heard it all you know, like just a drum machine going blick clack flickety flack plunk and blank and then you hear it in the song and you're like oh well that's magic how did that occur and you're like well because he's a genius working next to another genius with another genius and another genius is in his cab driving to the studio writing some genius shit for another genius yeah and the michael stuff is it's all geniuses <laughs> it's all geniuses you know like legitimate geniuses because that word gets thrown around a lot all right folks let's take our second and final break of this episode to talk about the mj casts shop that's right we have a shop it's at themjcast.com slash shop, and we have got a bunch of great designs, and all of these designs can be found on a range of products, including things like t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, travel mugs for coffee, phone cases, prints and, and artworks for your wall, tote bags, you name it. There's just a bazillion things you can get these designs on. Now, people that get our designs on our products absolutely love them. We've got our classic MJCast logo, some cool pixel art designs featuring Michael and all of his opening costumes for different tours, the Jackson Brothers. We've got some great um, typographic artworks that have like all the, the Michael Jackson's albums, solo albums listed there on the, on the design and all kinds of different things like that. We think you are going to love our designs and the products that they're on. Now, if you do pick up something from the MJ cast shop, 
all proceeds go towards three things. Show running costs, and they exist, believe me, charity donations, and new equipment to refresh our show and just make it sound the best that it can really be. For example, we've recently made charity donations to great charities like Give India and the D.D. Jackson Foundation. All of that has been made possible from people buying things from the MJ Cast shop. So thank you so much. The great thing about getting something from our shop is that you can wear it around and promote Michael Jackson and the MJ Cast all at the same time. We would love it if you could pick up something from the mjcast.com slash shop and send us through a photo of you wearing a t-shirt or something like that. You can email us at themjcast at icloud.com. We would absolutely love it if you could pick up something from the MJ Cast shop. Thank you so much, and let's get back to it. Christian, a couple of things. Our show editor, Charlie Carter, has put in a request. He's really hoping at some point you can do a session for the Michael Jackson song Too Bad from the album History, which I believe the multitracks are out for. Uh, if I can find them, I will do it for sure. Cool. All right. I'll, I'll Absolutely. Link you up. Yeah, I mean, and that's you a know, Jimmy the, Jam track as well. That's, that's a Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, dude, this, this, I have Scream, which is bonkers and jimmy's stories about all that stuff are just ridiculous yeah i was on that when i had my phone call with jimmy it was like four hours four and a half hours long and it wasn't until like the last half hour that we got onto what i'm doing which is i certainly don't begrudge he sent me a text and i was like hey man can we get on the phone and he was like yeah man just be prepared for a very long phone call i'm a an old man who likes to talk a lot. And I was like, I am your perfect audience, my man. <laughs> so I got on the phone. I just sat there. Cause I just, I, I don't, I'm not this guy on those phone calls. I, I turn into the dude who just feeds questions to get stories out of people. Cause that's all I want to hear. So we get through it. And then at the end of the half hour, he was like, uh, or the end of the four hours, he was turned onto what I was doing. And then he just says, uh, he's like, yeah, I mean, just so you know, like I'm really not, uh, I'm not in favor of what you're doing at all. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you, you, just you fucking bait and switch me, dude. What? The, what do you mean? And he was like, I just don't think that anyone should have access to this stuff, especially when I don't. And I was like, well, would you like it all? And he went, what? And I was like, would you like me to send you all of the Janet Jackson, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis stems I have, which is a lot, by the way. And he was like, really? And I'm like, of course, because if I shouldn't have it, which I shouldn't, then you absolutely should. It's your art. And, you know, like not to say anything shitty, but the people that were supposed to be in charge of this stuff clearly didn't care about it enough that it's ended up on the Internet for anyone to have access to if they know where to find it. And then even worse, they let 100,000 tapes of the most valuable art Mm-hmm. in our culture burn up uh, in a warehouse where they didn't put fire retardant devices into the warehouse where they literally stacked the safety copy on top of the original mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking i know a lot of prince fans were really heartbreaking were really angry when all of the the vault got cleared out and got shipped to Los Angeles. But what they didn't realize is the the roof into the vault at Paisley Park was literally leaking. So it's like, I understand that you want this, like you you don't understand how important it is to have these recordings physically safeguarded 
because then it's they gone. It has to be in a, it wasn't even in a climate controlled warehouse, right. man. Yeah. Anyone who's worked with film or reel to reel tape knows uh -huh. that it's flammable as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and once one goes, they all go and it burns very, very quickly and it burns very, very intensely. So, you know, my anger is with the fact that the, the people who have taken the art away from the, uh, the creators. Like, how gross is that? Like, I have friends of mine, you know, a friend of mine wrote and directed Dodgeball, you know, and he's been in the film industry forever, and I sat with him one day, and we just kind of went over how bad the music industry is. And he was like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. This is the equivalent of me writing and directing Dodgeball and then having to pay for everything to do with that movie before I see a penny. And I was yeah. like, yeah. I'm like down to every poster that you see on every bus, every billboard, every beer koozie, every hat, every radio commercial, every music video, everything has to be paid before the artist sees anything. And at the end of the day, they still don't walk away with their own art. That is gross. That is so gross. It's, it's and I was terrible. like, if anybody should have it, you should have it. And then he was very complimentary and was like, listen, if anybody should have this stuff and do the thing that you're doing, I want you to do it. I don't want anybody else to do it. And I was like, well, that's very nice of you to say. And now we're, <laughs> now we're back to being friends. We can have muffins and coffee. And I love you very much. I was a little bummed up until right now, Jimmy. I'll be honest with you. Well, you, you can remind Jimmy, there's a great story of, um, you know, Jimmy's working with Michael on, on history and he's they're working on Too Bad. And Jimmy's kind of talking about the bass sound that he's trying to play and he wants it to be very much like Larry Graham and Sly and the Family Stone. And and Michael says to Jimmy, well, do you want to hear what they're doing? And Jimmy's like, well, yeah, what do you mean? He said, well, I own the the publishing. I own the, uh, I, I'll put a call in. And they literally had the masters sent to the, to the studio. They pulled it up, they isolated stuff and then played it all and Jimmy was like, okay, I've got to get sloppier with how I play it. Okay, I've got to pull this, I've got to pull that. Right, so, right. So, yeah, so, I mean, and, and that's what I can understand his point of view, but he's also, there's a section of him as a, as a musician that's also a fan that wants yeah. to be able to dissect what Sly and the Family Stone are doing, that wants to dissect, you know, what Prince is doing or, or anything like that. So I'm, I'm glad that that you did what you did and you gave him what is rightfully his and what he should be able to be. I mean, he should be able to have that stuff yeah. to listen to whenever he wants, you know, like the amount of things that I'll do. And then he'll send me a text and be like, Oh man, I had no clue that that, like I actually, when we did, um, I think it was control was the last Janet that I did. And he sent me a text afterwards was like, man, woof, a lot of drums. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, a lot of, lot of drums going on there, champ. Like really, really put a lot into the drum programming and recording on that one. It was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't realize until you did that that, man, spent a lot of time doing a lot of drums on that one. So it's really, it's so dope to be able to, you know, like Greg sent me an amazing text of, and it was like, he was sitting at his house while he was he put his kids to bed and then he was sitting in his room playing piano to the ex, the extracted vocal that I was playing to the Michael song that he played on and he was like that's wow. a he's like that's a profound experience that I never thought that I was going to get to have like Wednesday at nine o'clock at night sitting in my house and you know that's the stuff that really means so much to me is when you get to you know when I did Prince for the first time and Wendy showed up and we had this, you know, really incredible experience, like two and a half hours of just absolute like 
not evidence, but but really brought home to me how special it was to not have an archive because the people that were there for that one really got to share. And it was only like, I think there was like 400 people because it was early on and it was really special. And there was this like one point where Wendy just typed into the chat. She was like, man, we were a really fucking amazing band. How amazing that is that you're able to give this back to these artists while they're still with us. And that's like what's so bittersweet about like with Bruce Swedeen and, and so many other people that we've lost that, you know, they didn't get their flowers while they were still here. And and it's been so amazing to see in the chat, like, you know, Greg will so often say, oh, wow, I forgot about this. Or I didn't even know that that was there. Or, you know, we, you know, tease Greg in the past where it's a lot of nights he's like, oh yeah, that was me. And yep, that was me too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> So it's yeah. like, and, and it was the same thing with Paul Jackson Jr., where he was like, oh, yeah, I did that one, and that was me, and that was David. And then Jimmy's asking him questions. And I know, that blows that, my mind. When you see, like, David and Jimmy yes. having, like, a side conversation where Jimmy's, like, because he's worked with, that's why I put that video up, right? Like, he's worked yeah. with Paul, and you get to see him, you know, like, it, like fan out to a certain degree in his own thing of, like, how'd you do that? Like, what is that? And I'm like, this is fucking absurd that this is a free thing that is happening in some darkened corner of Instagram (laughs) where legends are like just hanging out with the rest of us and just talking and just as stoked to be there as anyone else in that chat is. And that's like one of the things that, you know, one of my, my pushes to try to get this sanctioned. It's like one of the reasons I don't have an archive. One of the reasons I don't, charge for it that i refuse to do that is because i want to be able to sit with the people who own this music and say all i've done is simply try to get people to give a shit and i could have monetized this i could have left i've and i've you know like i've i've gone through the money that i've left on the table with this thing a number of times and everyone's like oh yeah dude i didn't even thought about that like i've got forty thousand people following me i did a test one night where i asked people how much they would be willing to pay a month to have access to the archive and $10 where was, what was where everybody sat. So if you, you know, the average monetization of, a, of, 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 on the interwebs is about, you know, you can, if you can monetize a quarter of your audience, you're doing well. So let's take a quarter, 10,000 people at $10 a month is a hundred thousand dollars a month. It's amazing that I am not making. Even if it was a 40th and it was a thousand people at $10 yeah. a month, that's $10,000 a month I'm leaving on the table because I don't, what... I don't want to do the wrong thing. I only want to do the right thing with this because I, because if I do that, then they, I don't have their respect and they, there's not right. a lot of respect to be found anyway, let's be honest. Right. But I, I want to be able to sit with them and be like, just let me do this. Just let, I can't, I'll never get to do this with Tom Petty. We waited too long. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, like right. I feel like I tell people like my joke is I feel like the angel of death because I go on the radio station after people have died and I do their in memoriam. And sometimes they're really yeah. hard. After I did fucking Tom Petty, I sat in my car and I cried for like 20 minutes because I was so nervous that I had failed. I had so nervous oh. that I had not done the right job, that I hadn't honored him to however many tens of thousands of people were listening to the radio at that moment. It's I, I, I don't take this lightly. That's why people have to shut up during the vocals because I don't yeah. take this lightly. We are so 
unbelievably lucky to be able to hear this music in this way. It is such a massive gift that we get to be able to experience these things that we already have so much passion and love and caring for, to be able to then be allowed to care for them in this way is just extraordinary, man. And it's something that I just, I, I'm so bummed at the people who have passed that I won't get to do it with. And I'm so I'm so nervous that I, that I won't, that it's not going to be allowed to happen. That I will, that I, that the fact that all that matters to everybody is money is going to stop me from being able to do it. That it will be, I will be a tree falling in a forest and I will end up being like other people on the internet who do this sort of thing, who aren't respected in a certain way because they're, they're seen as being opportunistic and not seen as, being an, I want to be part of the of the fabric of the music industry in a really unique way, and it's only so that these stories will be available. So that ultimately, in thirty years' time, when some kid's like, "Hey, Dad, what's this Hotel California song all about?" and his the mother or father will say, "Well, dial up Christian Hand talking to Joe Walsh about it, and we'll learn all about it together." That is the future that I wish I want my show to have. Yeah. So I want it to be that, that some kid will be like, hey, what's Michael Jackson all about? Well, all right, sit down. We're going to learn about Thriller today and we're going to dial up the session. And there it is. And there's that the, the, the frozen in amber moment of how of the most the most perfect way to learn about that person and that song and that art and the people attached to it. Yeah. That's my goal. Fuck knows if it'll happen. I might just be sitting on my floor forever, getting high and drinking tea <laughs> and rambling along like a caffeinated monkey. Who knows? Who knows, people? No, Christian, I think it'll definitely happen. You're already well on your way there, and we're so lucky to be able to engage with what you do now. I can't wait for the future. Christian, um, if people want to connect with you online and, and, and watch the sessions, where, where do they go? Uh, well, the easiest thing to do is just to hit the session IG live. And then set the notifications. I'm now, I've pivoted from the 11 in the morning thing because uh, I, I kind of have a little bit of a life that's starting back up again. So now I do it at six o'clock at night and I'm trying to do that Monday through Thursday, a Saturday night occasionally. And then a Sunday night, I think I'm going to start doing dealer's choice because one of the things is like uh, I, I, I want to sit down and just do songs that I want to do. And then uh, the other thing to do is check out the website. What's cool about the website is if you haven't seen it, there's a, an EPK. There's like an eight-minute EPK that kind of tells the story of what I've been doing and shows a little bit of the live shows and all that. And then more importantly, there's actually a button there that says radio shows. And there's a five-year archive of all of the 20-minute radio segments there on SoundCloud. So you can go and just get little 20-minute versions of the, the full show, which are still pretty rewarding, but it's like, it's like a snack. Just go like a snack session. And then a couple of other things, a couple other podcasts that I've done that are up there as well. Uh, one's called Music for the Headphone People, which is a, a podcast I'll start back up again for Odyssey Headphones, where I played a bunch of music that I've produced and tell the story of those records. And then another thing called Man Versus Radio, which was a podcast I did for about six years that I stopped doing because it just ended up being a protracted nervous breakdown. But I play a bunch of really cool music that you might not have heard about and tell a bunch of stories on there. Um, so that's a really good central hub for me is the sessionwebsite.com. 
Great. Thank you so much, Christian. And and also, I want to just check with our other guests today where we can find you guys online. Andy, uh, you've been on the show a number of times before. You are the author of the MJ101 series. Uh, where can people find you online and uh, also the wonderful books that you create? Sure. So uh, you can download any of the free ebooks at mj101series.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at mj underscore one underscore o underscore one. And if you want a broader field of music discussion, then follow me at, on Twitter at Andy underscore Healy, where you'll have more insight into my albumism articles and things like that. I literally just read your Welcome to America albumism article this morning, the, the new Prince record, and that was you just wrote that so well. I loved it. Thank you. Well, Thank can, you I ask, can I ask what the, what the books are? Uh, so the books are basically trying to uh, – they started trying to – put the focus back on Michael's music. So it's basically track by track reviews of each album. And then I also go into the short films. I go into performances. I go into the 101 greatest songs, kind of rank them one through to 101 and talk about why and the impact and things like that. So it's hopefully a, a, a conversation starter for people to, to put the focus back on Michael's music. Nice. I will check those out. Where can I find those? Uh, MJ... Uh, 101 uh, is it yeah mj101 series.com <laughs> great thank you that's awesome all right and also christina you recently guested on the mj cast and our audience has just been clamoring to get you back on for more such positive feedback so thank you so much for coming back to help host this episode well thank you for having me back and yeah it's been an incredible experience i'm i'm grateful to all of you for the work that you do and and, uh, you know, keeping the MJ fan community apprised of, of everything that's going on. I don't have a huge public presence on social media, but I'm on Twitter at Velo Christina. That's about it. Cool. We will definitely link to that in the show notes. All right, folks. Well, of course, uh, those of you listening, if you want to connect with the MJ cast on social media, we are all over the interwebs. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, all at the MJ cast. Uh, you can also subscribe to us as a podcast. We love to be listened to as a podcast. Uh, you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're on YouTube, all over the place. Uh, make sure you subscribe and uh, please send us an email. We love it when we hear from you guys as well. We are the MJ cast at iCloud. Cloud.com. But for now, I've really enjoyed myself here today being able to talk to you, Christian. Just finally, thank you one last time. Thank you so much for, for choosing to come on the MJ cast. And please keep the great Michael music flowing on your Instagram uh, Instagram account. And just a, just a reminder, Charlie Carter wants that too bad session, hopefully. So <laughs> we'll all be I tuning into that search one. Search for the stems. I'm looking for them now. <laughs> awesome. Charlie better feel really special because as you know, if you've spent any time in the session, requests are not entertained. Oh, so let make yeah. sure the listeners know that this is not this is not a <laughs> common thing. Charlie better feel really special about this one. <laughs> well, he's going to be spending a lot of time editing it. So yeah, I know people get so pissed when they're like they can't request things. I'm like, really? <laughs> that's really what do you like? I'm, that's what I'm supposed to do. But that's what the balloon animals are for. That's when you can request songs. <laughs> <Right. bombs. laughs> Get some Einstein's and annoy mountain happening. Oh, dude, if I had some yo gung, I'd be into it. <laughs> Don't have any, damn it. <laughs> All right, that is a wrap. We're done. Thank you so much, Christian. Uh, my pleasure. Well, thank you so much, everybody. I, I genuinely mean that. And your uh, outpouring of love for what I'm doing and, and support is not uh, not taken lightly. So I appreciate it greatly. 
Pleasure. Adios, everybody. Mm-hmm.